Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his genes from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week 15 of the Big East Barroom, brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout to get $20 off your first order of over $50. Ryan, we are at a really interesting week of Big East basketball. I'm glad we waited to record until after maybe the most interesting game of the week of St. John's and Seton Hall. So we might have some insight there. Um, a lot of teams showed who they were and a lot of teams showed we have no idea what they are. Yeah, I think you're starting to finally see some separation in the middle of the pack where teams are officially falling off the bubble and teams are surviving on the bubble. Um, and, the, you know, the, the name of the game is to be one of the last teams standing on the bubble in the country. So you got some teams that are working towards that. Yeah, I think, but I mean, I don't want to skip to Butler right now, but a team that played themselves, I think, right back on the bubble is Butler. And a team that might have played themselves on the right side of the bubble is Seton Hall. So this this is make or break season. I don't, you know, I'm I can be hyperbolic. How can you not be romantic about sports in a lot of ways? But you know, we're gonna be seeing like Butler Villanova this week. That could be a make or break game. Providence Xavier could be a make or break game. Like these teams cannot afford to continue to lose. And I'm hoping that the cream rises to the crop top eventually. Right now, I just know that there's three creams and there's nothing else going on. Three creams, boys. Three creams. I, I mean, and one of them got absolutely shellacked this week. So uh, uh, I have no idea. We we could have a three-bid league and we could have an eight-bid league. It was cream-on-cream cream violence. Yeah, well, for some of that it was. Right, what order do you want to go in today? Do you want to just pick a team? Do you want to get away? We could get through the bad teams first. We could do the good teams. We can mix it in. We well, why don't we start with uh, the two teams that just finished playing? Since um, they're fresh out of our mind, let's go ahead and start with the negative. Always get the negative out of the way first in life. We'll go St. John's, put three minutes on the clock, talk about what we just saw. Well, yeah, and the first game I think was really eventful as well. They lost to Providence 72-75, and then they just came out and lost a game that they have no idea how they lost, 68-62 against Seton Hall. Um the Providence game is interesting because this is the benching of Joel Soriano. Um, the Seton Hall is the return of Joel Soriano and the absolute collapse probably of their tournament hopes of at-large bid. Um, we can talk negative. We can talk Josh Adoro just absolutely dominating. We can talk our absolute collapse of epic proportions. Um, what do you want to talk about? Well, I, I don't think you have a, another option to but to talk negatives right now. They went 0-2. They've essentially played themselves off the bubble. There's really a, not really a feasible way for them to make the NCAA tournament at this point unless they were to do something kind of ridiculous down the stretch where they, you know, I don't know who they have left on the schedule off the top of my head, but, um, you know, they've played UConn twice, so they can't do that. Um, but anyhow, yeah, the game against Seed Hall – I think that sums up their season in a lot of ways. They have some talent. They come out to a 19-point lead. 
Their press is, you know, doing a lot of good things. It's turning the ball over on Seton Hall. Dennis Jenkins is making a lot of plays, and then it just falls apart down the stretch in the way that bad basketball always does, bad shot selection, turning the ball over, not enough hustle, not enough effort, not enough winning plays. We've seen that kind of across the season for them. Yeah, um, the Saint or Seton Hall finished winning the second half by 18 points. You know, I was watching this game, and I was at the casino, but I had actually money on Seton Hall, money line. Um, and I was like, well, this looks terrible. And I turned to my friend who I was sitting with and I said, how is this only a 12 point game at half? Cause even going into the half, it felt like St. John's was up 20. It kind of felt like that UConn Marquette game in terms of just the domination. And then in the second half, I mean, there was time for, they scored, I think they scored four points in the first, uh, eight minutes of, or 12 minutes of the second half. I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't just a collapse. Like St. Seton Hall went on a run. Seton Hall put up 39 points in the second half. Yeah, that's a lot, but that's on pace for 78 points. We're not batting an eye if somebody puts up 78 points in a college basketball game. I mean, 21 points in a half is absolutely atrocious, and some of those were down the stretch in garbage time when Seton Hall just didn't want to foul. But I do want to say the Joel Soriano benching I thought was really interesting, and, um, you know, Patino has a hell of quotes. I I really can't talk about Rick Patino quotes anymore because I'm so sick of you know him telling me that I, he doesn't like the team that he put together. But I do think it's interesting that he benched his the player that you know had decided to stay. Um, and then in that game, Josh had went out for 28 points um, playing the big man position. Yeah, it's just a desperation move. I mean that that's all it is. He can't fix this team, and he's tried everything he could think of. And his last move is to pull you know, his best returner and probably his second best player on the team and see if that is what it takes to get this team to do what it needs to do. It wasn't. Um, you don't I, make that move from a position of strength. I know that we hit our time limit, but Rod, do you think, you know, if you're a player right now watching this and what's going on with Joel Soriano, especially the one player that decided to come back and stay loyal to him, does this dissuade you from saying, you know what, if times get tough, I have to be there for Rick, but Rick's not going to be there for me. Yes, I think to some degree, but do I think it makes an overall huge difference in Rick Pitino's ability to recruit? Probably not. He's still a Hall of Fame coach. Um, we'll see if he can do better the next year because this year was an absolute abomination in terms of his um, coaching abilities. Well, let's move over to Seton Hall. Pirates get the win, and uh, they had had a win earlier this week against Xavier, so they go 2-0. and They beat two bubble teams which is obviously huge for them because they had kind of been trending to the wrong side of the bubble all of a sudden now. I'm not sure everybody has them in, but they have them very freaking close at this point, and they have a great Q1 record. So that's going to do great things for them in their NCAA tournament bid. Uh, what were your takeaways from them? Um, they beat Xavier in this other one. They started the game on – an 18 to two run Seton Hall is doing exactly what I'm asking these big East teams to do. And that's to come out with a level of desperation or to play with a level of desperation. And I understand that first half against St. John's, they didn't have it. That second half, every single loose ball there on the ground floor, um, every single 50, 50 ball seemed to be bouncing their way. They didn't play an incredible half of basketball in terms of it wasn't beautiful basketball, but they were playing for their absolute tournament lives. And that's what I saw in the, Xavier game too to start that game on an 18 to two run when Xavier believes that they're in there, you know, that game as well. I mean, quick math here. Seton Hall wins this game by 18. They start on an 18 to two run. So after the 18 to two run, they only win the game by two points. 
I mean, we're talking about two games that are decided by a second half run and a first half run by Seton Hall. You know, that, that I think that those that level of desperation, that locking in for a full 20 minutes of play for a stretch is carrying them through some mediocre basketball. This is what happened against St. John's the first time they played. I, they, I think they, you're they, reaching pretty hard here to point out that they had different runs at different points in the game. Um and that lease is some kind of desperation. I do agree with your point about the second half tonight, that they did come out and they looked like Shaheen Holloway made it very clear in the at halftime that if they lose this game, they're probably not in the NCAA tournament and it's going to be a steep hill to climb. And I agree they played like that. Um, I think much more of my takeaway from those runs is it's concerning that they're not able to do it for a full 40 minutes when they show the potential to be a really good basketball team, you know, repeatedly. Why aren't they doing it for a full 40 minutes? Why did they have to go down 19 points to St. John's? You can win basketball games, though, if you play an unbelievable 20 minutes and if you play an average 20 minutes. And that's going to be their recipe in some ways. I You don't think of Seton Hall as an explosive offense team, but when that defense locks in for 20 minutes at a time, like it did to keep, you know, Xavier to an, two points, like it did, didn't they go on a 28-0 to run against St. John's the first time they played them? Something I mean, like this defense can just lock into a different level. They'll bully you. They'll play physical. They're not going to the Sweet 16 if they only play defense for 20 minutes, Ty. They need to play defense for 40 minutes. And they have the ability to not be a bubble team. We've seen this. They beat UConn. They beat Marquette. They don't need to be on the bubble. If they played a full 40, they wouldn't. It's supposed to be a positive segment on them. But If you don't allow a point for 20 minutes, you congratulations, you're going to win a game. Like, this is how good this defense can be. Yes, basketball is hard. Stretch is hard. This is what, you know. This is what happens. You have good stretches. You have bad stretches. The bad stretches need to stop being so bad. And I think that's what we agree with. The good stretches are unbelievable top 10 team in the country. Good. Maybe. Go ahead. Your pick. Um, all right. Well, then I guess if we're going to talk about a bubble team and I guess I'm going to talk about a team I have a lot to say about, and that's the Butler Bulldogs. Um who lost two games this week, two, two of the three best teams in the Big East. They lost to Marquette 72-78, and then they lost to Creighton 57-79. I'm normally one to say the game is not as close as the final score. This game was closer than the final score, at least to about 25 minutes. Um, this Butler team showed a lot of resiliency. That Creighton game, I saw a lot of people online, it broke them a little bit. Um, it kind of looked like last year's team in some ways where adversity hit and they were just done. I don't know. I think Creighton did a really good job throughout the game, really taking Butler out of what they wanted to do offensively. They really kept the ball out of Telfort's hands. They put Shireman on Telfort this time instead of leaving their freshman, um, Miller or Trout, on him. So he wasn't really able to expose uh, anybody the way he was the first time they met. And I think they were Butler hung around in the first half because Thomas hit two threes, and, uh, and then Kapke hit another three early in the second half. If you take away those centers hitting threes, which is not replicable, right? I think that they were just outclassed for the most part. Yeah, and I'll sit here and say if you take away Ryan Cockbrenner's three threes in that game, then congratulations, it's probably not close either. I mean, the, I, and I get what you're saying, that that maybe wasn't replicable, but we just saw this Butler team hang with this Creighton team for a full 40 minutes in Omaha, tougher environment um, for Butler, obviously. Oh, absolutely. I think McDermott made really good adjustments for this game. 
Um, yeah. No matter what they wanted to do offensively. Yeah. Did you see Cockburn was playing drop coverage for a long time? And then there were a few plays where they let him switch. And it was like, oh, well, Ryan Cockburn actually was showing some mobility on the perimeter. And Butler was like a little, they were trying to have their guards pass over Ryan Cockburn, who was hedging a screen. And it's like, oh, this isn't, you know, that's not going to work. Um, I do want to talk a little positive because Butler is my team this year that like has my heart. Um, Finley Bizjak has grown up before our eyes. Um, I don't know exactly how he played in the um, second game, but in that first game that he played, you know, he he played point guard down the stretch in that game. Um, they took Posh Alexander out, and Finley scored 19 points, 5 of 10 shooting, 3 of 7. They were kind of on a desperation run at the end of the game, and Finley was heaving. He was making reverse left-handed layups off the glass. I mean, this guy is growing up before our eyes. I believe he's a top 100 recruit coming into this season um so obviously there's some potential there so it's been fun to watch his development um and you know it's really helpful if he can add some depth and be that sixth or seventh man um for this butler team because we know the starting five is really capable yeah my takeaway from this week my overall takeaway for butler is this would be a really fun team to watch next year if they had another year and they do right everybody has the option to, to return this posh does Posh have four years or five years? He I don't know. I thought I heard that, but I might be wrong. Posh might not be. We did learn DJ did because we asked him. Um, but Posh has played four years, so he should have an extra year of eligibility because yeah, one of those be, is a COVID year. He'd be the last class with a COVID year. Yeah, he was. Jeez, um, oh, that, that seems like yesterday and forever ago at the same time. But I just want to say, like, if they all got one more year to play together and to really learn each other's games, I think that they would be like a ranked team type of yeah. – I think it's just hard when you throw this many guys together that have never played together. Yeah, Um. I and I agree. I just – I'm I'm still hopeful. Uh, Jalen Thomas doesn't have any more eligibility left, by the way. Okay. So we'd be looking at a Connor Turble, Kepke, Augusta Casilla type. I don't know. I can't say confidently that I said one of those three names right. <laughs> uh, you got Kepke. Is it Kapke or Kepke? No, nah, I think it's Kapke. All right. Uh, let's get the DePaul Blue Demons out of the way because I watched them play last night. So I'm going to put one minute on the clock because that's all they've earned. Ty, what was their record this week? Lost by 36 to UConn, lost by 11 to Providence. You will have anything interesting to say because they're really bad. Although Churchill Abbas really impressed me in the UConn game. Um, dunks about everything that he can get his hands on. Don't know how the Providence game went because I'm not a sadist. Uh, they hung around. They, it was like a very close game at halftime. They had leads at one point, but they blow it because they can't. I mean, I posted the clip of them online blowing a wide open dunk within it being a close game. And I know people miss dunks sometimes. If you're DePaul and you have the chance to win, you cannot blow that dunk. Like, this is but, your one shot. Right, correct me if I'm wrong. They went on a 12-0 run to end that game, so they were down 22 and they are 23. Um, And so... I mean, I get it that it was close, but that means from halftime to about the four-minute mark of the second half, they went down 23 points. Yeah, but it, when Providence started getting the ball to Josh Aduro, it was over. Um, I made a joke that I was going to start making highlights of Josh Aduro scoring over DePaul players laying on the ground because it happened repeatedly because they just kept laying down and he would hit a layup. Yeah. Um, embarrassing. Find a good coach. Hit the transfer portal. Get a few good recruits. Change the change the narrative. Right. If we're gonna do this, I think we should. I'm gonna petition this. 
we should shorten the Georgetown segment to two minutes. Um, from three, Georgetown has earned a little bit more than DePaul, but they have not earned a full Big East. Um, what is it? Full Big East buy-in or a full Big East? Whatever. Um, they lost this week twice. They lost by 22 points, and then they lost by 26 points, um, or 16 points if I could do math. Do you love Georgetown? Is Ed Cooley really bad at his job? Ed Cooley has to be the most disappointing coach of anybody who's still employed. I mean, Tony Subblefield had the worst year of any Big East coach, but I think it's got to be Ed Cooley as, as yeah, the next worst. I think this is a much more interesting conversation than anything that happened on the floor. Probably what happened is Jaden Epps scored a few points. Dontro style looked pretty good. Their defense was bad. Rowan probably shot from the logo a few times. Okay, we finished the Georgetown. Um, Rick Pitino and Ed Cooley's disappointment. It's hard because what is expectations? Uh, the expectation for St. John's was higher. So them falling has been more in the public eye, but Georgetown's was lower, but their fall has been so high. Far as well. Rick Pitino has how many conference wins? Georgetown has one, Ty. And, yeah. and they'll only get two because they played a Paul again. They're not going to win any other games. Going, you didn't expect this from Georgetown to be uncompetitive. I didn't. I didn't expect this from Georgetown. Even through the non-con, I didn't expect this from Georgetown. If you told me that they lost, they only won one game in the Big East over the course of the season, but they battled in a whole bunch of games, you'd be like, oh, well, you know – rebuilding year bunch of tough losses no they've been non-competitive they've been like almost DePaul level basketball Ed Cooley has also gone the way of Rick Pitino and his post-game quotes I don't know if you saw he kept um saying that Brendan Housen did nothing to get open and therefore you know whatever and it's like you're sitting there and you're like dude just like and he's and he don't even get me started on how he tells every freaking organization that they should be happy with their coach don't worry guys you should be happy with the coach it's like no be, like we get it but you should i almost just said something out of pocket uh let's go over to rhode island and do your providence friars we'll put three minutes on the clock because they've earned three minutes how'd they do this week you know, one of my favorite things is that when we say these teams earned it, like you have to earn consequences. You have to earn good things. Providence has earned every good thing recently. Um, they won against St. John's 75 to 72. And then they beat DePaul 81 70 in an underwhelming game. I think it's fair to say because of the first half and the last four minutes of the game, but they still blow them out by 11 points with a 23 point lead in there. Right. Any conversation with Providence has to center around two people. And those people are. David Carter and Josh Adoro, but right now, let's Josh give Adoro. Josh Adoro his flowers because we've given David Carter his flowers all season long. But Josh Adoro has all of a sudden started playing like a second-team All-Big East player, like one of the top three bigs in the, in the conference. I mean, he's averaging almost 30 points over his last three games played, going back to the game against Creighton, the Logo 3 overtime game. And then, of course, he doesn't play in the Butler game because of the birth of his son or child. I don't know the gender. It's a son. Is a son. Um, I thought you weren't going to give him son because he's still a child. And I was like, geez, do you have to graduate to son? Uh, he's been terrific. He was terrific in that St. John's game. They're playing through him more than ever, allowing him to make decisions. He's a really good passer, like a really, really good passer. Doesn't get enough credit for that. I think that what part of what, like, what you're saying with the passing – He's been in a lot of one-on-one matchups, and a lot of time I'm like, ooh, why don't they give him the Eric Dixon treatment, or why don't they give him the Joel Soriano treatment? Or the... Because he's so good at passing out of the double teams, and Providence has enough shooting where you can't 
consistently double team him. And you think because what is he? Six, nine, six, 10. He's a little undersized at the center position. He might even be smaller than that. You think that, Oh, we, we can leave Donovan Klingon on him. We can leave Joel Soriano on him and play one-on-one. And you just can't, we've seen it against Ryan Cockburn and we've seen it against everyone. He might be the most skilled five in the big East. It's him and Eric Dixon, I believe that are competing for that um, thing. Maybe Dixon gets a nod because he can shoot the three. Um, but I don't know what the equivalent for when a baseball player, or a football player has a kid, it's dad strength. Um, strength doesn't always help you in basketball. So I don't know what the equivalent is. Strength. Do you have dad skill now? Like I am so impressed. And the fact that more Joshua flowers names, Kim English, the um, godfather of his child. I mean, just wildly cool story mindset. I'm part of the cult. Bring me in Josh Adoro for president. Uh, yeah. Dad footwork. That's what we'll call it. He's got dad footwork right now. He's trying to oh. step through the Legos on the ground. Like he's trying to. I think that the the biggest positive takeaway from this week was Devin Carter was pretty mediocre against St. John's and they still beat St. John's. Now, part of that, does that have to do with the home court advantage or playing at the amp? It's one of the best home court advantages in the country. Absolutely. Josh Adoro is tremendous. But if you can win some games where Devin Carter is not the best player in the conference, not, I mean, I'm not saying they're back on track to where they were with Bryce Hopkins, but they're the closest they've been since he went down. Okay, rhetorical question. If Because this is what I've been struggling with. If Providence, let's say Bryce Hopkins plays in these games, he puts up Corey Floyd's stat line. What would the conversation be? I think we'd say Providence is firmly in the tournament right now because we'd at least know the potential of Bryce Hopkins. We just know Bryce Hopkins isn't coming back, so we have to almost back ourselves down a little bit, I think. Well, you got to remember, they dropped some games after Bryce Hopkins went down. They went, they lost at St. John's where Carter scored like 30-something points. Um, so some of those losses are not helping them, but I think they're in the tournament right now. I do I, too. They've been really good over the last two weeks. I think them, Butler, and Seton Hall are trending in the right direction while the other three are trending in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Villanova, Xavier, yeah. and um, St. John's. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think you have a very firm three going this way and three going this way. Uh, Rye, speaking of teams that kind of took a step backwards this week and one of those teams that aforementioned, the Xavier Musketeers, who lost to Seton Hall 70-88. to um, For me, as I am a very big Xavier fan, so this hurts to say, I am right now going to put them in the St. John's category where their at-large bid is dead. They are 13-12. and 12. I'm sorry, that just doesn't get it done, especially when some of those wins are against teams of Division II nature. Who do they have left on their schedule? I'm glad you asked that because I'm honestly on the page right now. They play Xavier or Providence this week, then they play Marquette, then they have DePaul, then they have Georgetown, Butler, and Marquette again. Here's what I'll say. Sweet Marquette, and you're in. Yeah, absolutely right. But outside of a sweep of Marquette, I agree with you. I think, uh, I don't know, maybe if they win every other game and lose at Marquette, they, they could sneak in. But they're probably looking at the automatic qualifier as their only chance, which we hate to say because Quincy Oliveri is one of our favorite people as well with being uh, one of our favorite basketball players. Um, but they really struggled in, in that Seton Hall game, and they just did not have enough. Their front court was terrible. Usman didn't play most of the game because he was terrible. Um, if, if you don't remember that Kachi Naze, I'll put up eight points. And every time I get this wrong, Sasha Siani put up seven points in that game. Um, then I don't know. I don't want to talk. 
Yeah, Gianni actually had nice moments. I think it's Gianni. Uh, and NZ also had really good moments. Unfortunately, neither of them are one of the first options for the front court. Yeah, Nizay played eight, uh, 20 minutes. I mean, he put in these. Well, this that, that talks about the kind of state they were in. And I, how many minutes did he play prior to that? Like all season, I bet you it was close to 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, he definitely isn't their number one center. Um, going into the season, he was averaging five minutes per game and only 10 games played. And they've played 25. So he's played like 50 minutes and he played 20 minutes in this game. Yeah. And um, this was as bad as it as bad of a performance as it could have been, and it probably eliminated him. Yeah, and Ryan, what's the strength of Seton Hall? They play one side of the ball really well. What is it? Could I Richmond? No. What side of the basketball do they play really well? They're a good defensive team. Wherever right? Kenway Richmond is, okay. that's what their strength is. Seton Hall shot fifty five percent in this game. That was my only point of that. Um, this this Seton Hall team shouldn't have won by eighteen points against a desperate Xavier team. Uh, Xavier struggles defensively and then they struggle offensively. Um, this is a team that puts up 53 points in a game, then they put up 88 or put up 70 points, but then give up 88. Yeah, they so, hadn't struggled that much defensively. I was surprised that uh, they weren't able to get any stops on Kadari, especially with Desmond Claude on him. Claude's very long wing, you would have thought that'd be a good matchup, but Kadari was cooking. What do you have 13 assists in that game? I mean, they were they couldn't do anything to slow him down. That was one of the best performances from Kadari Richmond we've seen in his career. 20 and 13 for Kadari Richmond. He is reinvigorating his ability to maybe be Big East player of the year. Missed too many games. Maybe. Right. If we're going to talk about it, I think we should get out the other team that I have trending downward because I think the last three teams have earned the opportunity to go last. Um, the Villanova Wildcats who lost by 16 or sorry, beat Georgetown by 16 in a Brendan Housen shootout um, in a game that was ugly in the first half offensively, but then came alive a little bit in the second half for Villanova. 28-19 in the first half. That is ugly basketball. Yeah, I'm not necessarily convinced that they're trending in the wrong direction right now. I mean, what are they, three of their last four? So they they beat Seton Hall prior to that. They lost at Xavier in the game where they don't get a shot up. And then they had beat Providence in the game where Kim English says, I'm going to completely restructure my offense. And then they were on a four-game losing streak before that. Well, hey, we're talking about trends currently, not trends four games ago, right? No, it's it's a tough week to judge them because they just went five day, or a whole week and the only game they played was against Georgetown. So it's more mostly in a, a week where they're not moving. Well then, let's look ahead, right? You uh, Villanova right now is fourteen and eleven. They the next three games or their next two, I think, decide their season. They play well. They're not going to be. They're going to play UConn at UConn. Do they have a chance to win that game? No. They are going to play Butler, but at Villanova, do they have a chance to win that game? Certainly. They're going to play Georgetown. They should win that game, right? Oh. Listen to their march. How many of these games do they have to win to be in the tournament? They play Providence, Seton Hall, and Creighton. Two? If they beat Butler and Georgetown, two probably gets them in. If they lose to Butler, you probably need to sweep down the stretch. Okay. I mean, I, I Villanova's been out of my head for a long time. They've kind of earned it for me that they haven't really had um, – that I don't want to – I haven't thought about them in terms of a tournament picture because I really did believe in this team. I had them fourth going into the season. 
Yeah, I mean, Kyle Neptune's coaching for his job every day, in my opinion, right now, or at least the ability to be off the hot seat. And I'm certainly not saying I have any belief in Villanova. I have also been burned by them too many times where they would, you know, show really nice flashes in the non-con and, and win over in the Bahamas and then lose to freaking Drexel. And we've seen that all season from them. They win at Creighton and then they lose, take your pick of their worst conference loss. Um, and they- I would be remiss to say that if we're going to talk resumes, I don't know if you saw the Memphis score today. Memphis gave up 106 points to SMU, um, and that is not equality. And UNC, while is still very good, a top 10 team in the country, did flip from third to seventh in the country. Um, so if you are a Villanova fan, you should be the biggest Memphis, UNC. Who else did they beat in that um, tournament? Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech. Texas Tech fans um, in the country. But, because- but I did want to say that they had a really nice defensive game plan against Providence and Seton Hall. They really shut down those offenses to the point where those offenses, you know, Kim English totally restructured what he was doing. And Xavier. And Xavier, to be fair. They only allowed 56 points to Xavier. Yeah, I, I didn't get to watch that game, so I don't want to comment on it. But um, 56 points, I think, is. All I'm saying is that they're trending in the right direction. I, I'm not putting money on them right now. And if you're listening, I'm not suggesting you do either. But they're certainly trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's tough. With so many teams in the Big East on that bubble, I mean, we can confidently say that six teams are on that bubble. Um, Villanova is the team that I have the second or third least confidence in to make the tournament. I think that's fair. All right, right. I want to end the episode on a positive note, so I'm going to hit this one first. Let's talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles. Um, for three minutes, who played two games this week with a win at Butler, 78-72, avenging that early season loss um, against when they've lost to Butler at home. And then they lost at UConn, 81-53. And we're biased because we live in Connecticut. I was going to say the most anticipated matchup of the season in terms of the Big East. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. But one versus four. It was a top five matchup. You know, and, and UConn did have a top five matchup earlier in the season. They played at Kansas. The one was a four and one was a five at the time. But that's not a Big East matchup. So I think in terms of Big East matchup, yeah, I can't think of one that was more highly anticipated. And in this first game against Butler, um, because let's get the positives going, Tyler Kolek and Oso Godaro combined for 44 points. They were unstoppable at times in the pick and roll. Oso's little push shot. Tyler Kolek was... We had him on right after this, so I am very biased towards, you know, Tyler Kolek because he's been so nice to us. Go listen to that episode that was released this week. But, you know, Kolek was in his bag. It was an extension of the St. John's game in, in many ways with the free-flowing offense, um, you know, their ability to score at all three levels was really impressive as well. Um, corner three after corner three hitting them, you know. So Kolek went for 27 in the points in this game. Do you want to talk about – do you want to give your opinions on that game before we go to the shellacking that happened in Hartford? No, not really. I'd like to get to the shellacking um, and talk about what went wrong because they really never looked right. Um, Can I push back there? Because through the on an, uh, under 12 timeout, I believe it was 18-18, and Marquette, I thought, had done a pretty good job controlling the pace. Kolek starts that game with that monster alley-oop to Oso, um, like right off the bat, and I was uh, – as a UConn fan, I was a little like, oh, they're going to be able to do their pick and roll. Klingon's not mobile enough to Gardoso. Klingon was more than mobile enough to... Oh, not, he, well, yes. not Gardoso, but he was more than mobile enough to guard Tyler Kolek. 
I thought their pick and roll defense was for – and you're right that they had that play um, on the first play. But after that, for the next 39 minutes and 30 seconds, I thought their pick and roll defense was really freaking good and really stymied Kolek, who didn't find his groove. Now, did they miss some shots that they need to hit? Yes. But also, when they went through the losing streak earlier in the season, we talked about their entire offense is based on spread pick and roll – and make the defense make a choice. And if they collapse to call, like you dish and you hit the three. And they're, they were not hitting enough shots. And that's why they kept losing games. That's why they lost to Butler earlier in the season. That's why they almost lost to Creighton at home, also. Um, so it brought up some of the same old fears we had went before they got hot and Tyler Kolek was going off on a ridiculous run. But when does it eventually just be like, I'm going to kind of say, I don't want to lump them because we just actually had this conversation all week about Marquette and Creighton. But when does it eventually become, yeah, the shots aren't falling, we're not going to win? Like, when does that eventually happen? Because I thought my takeaway from this game for Marquette was eh, kind of like when UConn lost to Seton Hall by 15. Eh, weird game, missed a ton of open shots. That was my takeaway. Really? Wow. We have completely different takeaways. I thought they were thoroughly dominated in every aspect of the game. Uh, I don't think they. They didn't rebound hard enough. They didn't play defense hard enough. They missed several switches because Oso Gadar was trying to switch one through five, and you could tell Oso looked a little um, had a little extra energy for this one, and he wanted to show off, I think, his his defensive abilities. But they missed some switches. One of UConn's first basket was on a back cut where the other guy didn't pick him up when Igadaro uh, switched. Yeah, no, they. I mean, they got outclassed in many ways, but UConn or Marquette missed so many open threes in this game. Oso missed more push shots than I've ever seen him miss in his life. Not over Klingon, like when they had the switch, he would be shooting from around the free throw line, missing that push shot, back rim every time. Maybe because he had a little more juice, he was shooting back rim. If they get dominated like this again at Pfizer, I'll be like, whatever. But they lost by this much to UConn last year, pretty much, in a game that we had went to. And... At the end of the day, we were like, and eh, this kind of makes, you know, UConn's really good. Marquette's just had a bad night. We might be saying that again in two weeks. I'm shocked because usually you're the UConn homer, and I'm the I'm trying to argue the other side, but I don't agree at all. I thought – and listen, you're right that they're going to go play at Pfizer, and, you know, anything can happen in the next game. I thought in this one, they didn't look like they belonged on the same court. I thought UConn was better in pretty much every aspect, and those shots were open because – they were making sure Clint, uh, Kola couldn't beat them. Go look at I, – I just don't believe that Stevie Mitchell, Cam Jones, and David Joplin are going to miss as many threes as they do. They did in this game. I just don't believe that's possible. I do think Kola got bothered by the drop coverage of Donovan Klingon just because of his length. Kola finishes over a lot of centers because he is able to be a little bit artistic near the rim. And, with you know, he plays off the glass a little bit. Klingon's length – was making it clear that he wasn't going to be able to get that push shot off at any time either. And he was going to take away the lob from Oso as well, because he got his hand on a few of those lobs and they ended up being turnovers. But there were times in that game, to be clear, that Marquette just turned around and handed the ball to UConn and UConn just kept running the other way. And they're like, oh, thanks. Like, we'll take that as well. Right. I, I felt like Marquette was a no-show. I think if Marquette hits their normal shots, you that's a 10-point game. All right, we could do this all night. We do have to move on. Uh, you want to go to UConn? We can just talk the other side. Yeah, I think it would be because now I'm going to talk up UConn for the entire three minutes after I just said Marquette fans don't panic for the entire three minutes. Um, UConn played two games this week. They had their bye game against DePaul where they won 101 to 65, and then they beat Marquette um, by 28 in Hartford. To be clear, they won by they beat DePaul by 
36, and then they beat the number four team in the country by 28. UConn is so by far and away the best team in the country. I'm not Purdue lost today, so we have the benefit of doing this, but they're so far and away the best team in the country. They are very businesslike. I think if you are going to beat UConn, you are going to have to play your best game. UConn is not going to beat itself like they did against Seton Hall ever again this season. They have too many weapons. I am fully on UConn is probably going to repeat because that's how good they are. Ty, who do you think the best player for UConn was in that market game? Two players, uh, Donovan Klingon and Hassan Diara. Um, I had a tweet all drafted up for Hassan Diara, but some of his jumps from last year to this year – like last year he averaged 2.1 points a game and this year he's averaging 5.7. But I'm like, oh, but that's so much more impactful. He shot 18% from three last year. I believe he's shooting about 38% from three right now. Um, having a weapon like that off the bench. Donovan Klingon, I'm the biggest Derek Jeter fan in the world where I go, if you didn't watch Derek Jeter every day, you didn't understand his impact on the game. The impact that Donovan Klingon has on the game. Ryan had a tremendous threat at the beginning of the year where he said, look at how many shots you don't take because of Donovan Klingon, that was 100% what was happening in this game. Donovan Klingon's effect on everything that goes on, the safety blanket. You understand why Creighton fans are so passionate about Ryan Kalkbrenner? Because you're like, oh, he averaged, he, you know, he had seven rebounds or whatever. Klingon ends up having 11. But you don't really get the full scope of how good they are defensively. And a lot of time they bring the double on Klingon offensively. Klingon is an elite passer out of the double team as well. In that DePaul game, he had a few backdoor cuts uh, with Caravan, I believe, where he just like one hand bounced pass from the top of the, you know, the three point arc. I mean, this is stuff that a seven, three players don't do. And it's why he's going to be a lottery pick. Yeah. I'm not sure we should take any of DePaul's defensive game plan seriously. I don't think Marquette is throwing many doubles at him. Um, for exactly what you said, he is a good passer. He's been a good passer since high school. We went to see him play in high school, and he made some passes uh, in that game that we were like, wow. Um, one thing that I, I agree with everything you said about Klingon and Hassan, I, I was going to say Klingon, but also I think Hassan Diara is a six-man, biggie six-man player of the year right now because um, I'm running out of time. I just want to say I don't think Klingon gets enough respect for his rebounding. He's a sophomore. He's not a, like a jacked dude, you know? I mean, like he's 7'2 in a sophomore, so how it'll take time to put weight on. He gets in there and he battles, and he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the conference. Um, just another way that he impacts the game. In this workmanlike performance by UConn, Caravan and Castle combined to shoot 3 of 16 from the field with 10 points. And we, you've been um, specific, not specific, I don't want to say hard on him, but you've been, what has Tristan Newton done for me lately? Tristan Newton was special at certain times in that game. Um, he ends up shooting three of seven from three. He hit back-to-back threes to kind of break the game open. Um, he was five of 10. And a lot of his points came in garbage time. Objectively. You are the, the weirdest Tristan Newton hater of all time. You had this thing against Sonogo last year. It's now Tristan Newton this year. I love Tristan Newton. I just, people want to argue he's biggest player of the year. He's not biggest player of the year, but. Well, right. That's 10 teams. So stay tuned for after this break, where we are going to talk about the 11th. If you are good at deductive reasoning, the Creighton Blue Jays are coming up next. All right, Biggie's Barroom fans, we are excited to announce that we have joined forces and partnered with Homefield Apparel. 
One of the great things about Homefield Apparel is they cover all 11 Big East teams. I like it because you get the generic shirts from the team store and all this. No. You're going to Homefield Apparel. You're going to be getting a new shirt. You're going to be wearing something unique. People are going to stop you. They're going to say, where did you get that? You're going to say Homefield Apparel. All right? You're going to say enter the code B-E-B-R and you get a discount. How about that? And then you're going to take their phone. We've talked a lot about this on the podcast. You're going to take their phone. You're going to take their credit card out respectfully, and you're going to put in the information, B-E-B-R, get yourself a discount, get yourself a Big East shirt. You're going to the Big East tournament. You want to wear a shirt. You don't want to be the guy who has the Creighton Blue Jay, just like everybody else. Go get yourself a shirt, Homefield Apparel, B-E-B-R. Check us out. All right, and we are back to talk about the last team of the Big East. Number 11 on the field, number one in our hearts, the Creighton Blue Jays, who went 2-0 this week. They put in a workmanlike performance, 94-72 to against Georgetown, and then they absolutely demolished Butler at Hinkle, 79-57. to They won both their games by 22 points. That might be an indictment on Butler in some ways. Baylor Shireman put up the first point, rebound, assist, triple-double in Creighton history, 104. Four years, I believe, that I tweeted out, which is wild. Um, somebody else had had it with steals or blocks, which I thought was pretty cool that we had to keep specifying. Like, hey, no, this guy did it with this. The Creighton Blue Jays, to me, have – I think the top three teams in the Big East have now shown that they are clearly the top three big teams in the Big East. And that yeah, was my think, biggest takeaway this week. I think that's fair, and I think it's important to note that at times we had kind of questioned Creighton if they were significantly better – than like a Butler or a Providence, especially when Providence was really rolling with uh, Bryce Hopkins. At this point, there's really no point in arguing it. They are clearly the third best team, and, and they're probably closer to Marquette than they are to the fifth best team or fourth best team. Yeah, I think that my takeaways from this week is it goes UConn, gap, 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 Marquette Creighton, gap, 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 whatever. Like gap, 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 gap. Georgetown DePaul. Like, it is very clear that Marquette and Creighton kind of have similar ceilings. And I know that Creighton's underperformed this year in some ways, but I don't think that their ceiling has changed. Do you? Like, are you still thinking that this team could be playing second week in basketball, playing Final Four basketball? Do I think it's possible? Yes. And, and this is the problem I have at the end of every Big East year. We've seen the weaknesses so exposed. That you say, yeah, and I do the same thing to UConn at the end of last year. You know, oh, I've seen, you know, how these weaknesses can be exposed. So I assume it's going to be in the NCAA tournament. But you know what? The NCAA tournament, these guys haven't seen them that often. You know, um, you're not game planning them for them twice a year, your entire career, seeing these same coaches over and over again. So I think it's possible, but I would say that. Uh, I mean, look at it compared to preseason expectations. Do you think it's a net up or down where they are right now? Down, but slightly. I think it's just a little bit. I don't think the tiers change. I just think like, I think about it, it's like a 1% different maybe. Like if you're, they're going to probably be ranked around like 14th this right now. You know, when they start, they rank what, 11th to start the season, I believe. Um, So like that's a 1% difference when you go the 360 teams in the NCAA. Here's what I'll say. I completely agree with what you're saying that I, th and I think, <laughs> We've about this that the analogy is that we're especially you are harder on your own kid during a basketball game than you are, 
you know, someone else's kid. And we're harder on the Big East teams because we see it and, you you know, you pick apart some of the flaws. Remember Ryan Kalkbrenner came out immediately last year and, and put up 32 points in like two straight games in the NCAA tournament and was just catching lob after lob. And it was like, did you game plan for the only thing that Ryan Kalkbrenner does really, really well offensively? <laughs> like he, he catches lobs and finishes around the rim. My th- reason that I'm so high on Creighton right now is they have an absolute superstar on their team. They have Baylor Shireman. You don't. And every single night that Baylor Shireman goes onto the court, he is either the best basketball player or the second best basketball player. They are not relying on Trey Alexander, you know, to take what I thought he was going to have to do this season, the shoulder, that much offensive responsibility. Baylor Shireman's kind of done what I thought Trey Alexander was going to do. Yeah, specifically um, in this Butler game, his ability to get out and run and run the fast break was was special. It was really special because they're having a hard time scoring in a half court against Butler. And so they just decided to push. And Baylor Sherman, whether he was scoring or making a pass in that fast break, was responsible for a lot of freaking points. Um, I absolutely agree with what you're saying about Baylor Sherman. Ryan Kalkbrenner is also playing his best basketball of the season. Uh, Steven Ashworth is playing his best basketball of the season. And all of a sudden, looks like the guy that he was supposed to be when he came around here. Um, you know, Trey is is still having a nice season. They're trending in the right direction at the right time. And uh, credit to Greg McDermott because he does this every year. Greg McDermott is doing – did I – is Creighton who I related um, the CC Sabathia weird niche, like, yeah. to? Yeah. Well, um, in this game, to be fair, uh, Baylor Sherman played 40 minutes the Bob Butler game specifically, they won by 22 points. Keep in mind, they didn't just like, you know, barely get by Baylor. Shireman played 40 minutes. Trey Alexander played 40 minutes. Steven Ashford played 37 minutes. Ryan Cockburn played 38 minutes. Guess how many points the starting five scored? All of them. All of them. All of them. Their weakness is clear. They don't have a bench They're If their shooting is bad, they're going to lose. That's not a hot take. That's not a great take by me. That if, sh- if anyone's shooting is bad, they're going to lose. But if specifically Creighton does not have a lot of other ways to beat you if their outside shooting isn't great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any – I mean, with the rumors – I'm going to say this. Creighton fans are going to hate it. It's supposed to be a positive thing. With the rumors uh, around Greg McDermott and the fact that he's not trying to develop his bench – and, you know, he's riding in the starters. Is there any way you can look at this and say this kind of has the feeling of a one last ride with Creighton, you know, just me and my boys? Is, is Am I going to have to look up what the if the Brewers manager got an extension after he rode CC Sabathia into the ground in the 2008 season? I'm just saying, as an outside observer, I'm not a Creighton fan. I love the basketball team. Um I'm it, a, has, it, it kind of resembles that right now. I'm a big fan of fan fiction, and I think you might be onto something where he's saying, either he's saying this is like this is my best shot to get where I need to go, so I'm just going to ride him into the ground like a bunch of guys on one year contracts, or is he saying, yeah, I'm going down, but I'm you know I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave with my guys doing it. I kind of like the take. Um, to be clear, Sean Miller has a better chance of leaving his job than Greg McDermott does his. And but. to be fair, Greg McDermott did a very similar thing last year where he didn't play his bench much, and then obviously he came back. So it's not a foolproof theory, but it's something to think about. It's something I've thought about recently. And, and you know what? McDermott – here, I'll go a little fan fiction too. McDermott said 
Maybe McDermott said at the beginning of the year, I'm going to try to develop a bench. Then he said, oh shit, we're kind of middling. I'm just going to go with what worked last year. They were they were a whistle away from her final four. I mean, that's how like close they were. Maybe he's going to say, you know what, I this formula works. Yeah, know, Gary McDermott is a borderline Hall of Fame coach. It doesn't require a borderline Hall of Fame coach to realize playing 40 minutes of Baylor Shireman is a positive if Shireman can play 40 minutes, right? Like, so. Much more impressive that Ryan Cockbrenner is giving you 38 minutes at seven feet two. Like, that's wildly impressive. No one can ever question Creighton's. I want to say no one can question Creighton's toughness, but that's all I do is question Creighton's toughness. So more that no one can question how much they want this, how much they really want this. Yeah, specifically that starting five. You can't question their willing, their want to win. Just get one player who can score five points on the bench. Barabello, King, or Trout. One of those three. Well, Farabello will give you good minutes. It's just he's not hunting his own shot, you know, but he, he plugs yeah, in. Yeah, and he shoots his three. When he's open, he shoots his threes. I mean, like, I'm not and, – and that's what I'm saying. I And I saw Fred King be really good last year. Like, Fred King was good for stretches last year. When Cockburn went in mono for three weeks. Last year, he had nice stretches. Yeah, he's been awful this year. Fred doesn't score anymore. So. All right, that wraps up week 15 of the Big East Barroom. As always, well, I want to thank you all for listening. We are in mid-February. It is the best time of the year. If you're not watching 20 hours of college basketball every week, then you should start because it's the only sport on. So what are you doing? The NBA is on, but to be clear, we we like this more. So thank you, everybody. Um, keep tuning in. We hope to have a few more player interviews coming. Um, I got a little bit of the juice flown when uh, we started planning a little bit of our Big East Tournament preview show. So let's uh, – Let's get let's get excited for that. That I mean this this stuff comes quickly. I think Ryan and I always get lost in the sauce a little bit and then the offseason's long. But hey, best conference in basketball. Other than what Ant Wright says. All right. And as always, thanks for pulling up a stool.